Wagwan, everybody. Welcome to the Dis Afimi History Podcast, where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. I wanted to thank you so much, Philip, for coming on to the podcast to speak about how to research your Caribbean family history. So if you could, before we start, can I just have you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes. All right. So hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Philip Nicholas. I am a genealogist, and I'm also a graduate student at the University of Maryland College Park here in College Park, Maryland, United States. And I I come from Jamaican background. Uh, my mother was born in Jamaica. My dad was born in the UK, two Jamaican parents. So that's what got me really interested in particular Jamaican genealogy. But I also look at Barbados genealogy. And so that's where really my interest also stems from um, a history background. So I, I really have a love and passion for genealogy. Thank you so much for that. That's quite extensive to know yeah. that you have, you know, family from Jamaica, the United Kingdom, still going back to Jamaica, but again, just the whole broad spectrum of the whole researching aspect. So yes. we'll start. Great. So we'll start yep. with the first uh, question. Mm -hmm. As you know, with most Caribbean families, um, mm -hmm. family history is mostly oral stories. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these stories can change from one generation to another. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone starting out their family history? Yes, so I would say, so first I would say oral histories are a crucial part of your genealogy um, research. I, and first say starting out researching your family history that you should take a notation of like in a journal of the oral stories that you've heard from your parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins because some of those um, stories, there's a strong likelihood that there might be truths to them and you never really know what are the fictions. So that's something that you do wanna um, take note of. Like many, I myself, when starting my journey into family history, I did start listening to those oral stories that were getting passed down from generation to generation. Like for some, I learned I was told on my, mater my paternal grandmother's side that I had descended from Jamaican Maroons and they were the ones that were fighting against the British. And then I've also been told on my, from my paternal, maternal grandfather's side that his parents were a mixture of African and Jewish and East Indian background. But then after starting to do that research, I learned quickly that wasn't entirely accurate that my paternal grandmother, especially on her mother's side, was predominantly of enslaved Africans. So there was this romanticizing of wanting to be associated with Jamaican Maroons, the ones that were rebelling <laughs> against the British. And that wasn't necessarily yeah. true all the time. And Definitely. Then, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> 
And then also learning about on my maternal grandfather's side that actually his parents were a mixture of the British Isles and um, France, but they wanted to associate, I guess, with um, ancestry that seems to be more exotic, like Jewish or East Indian, but that wasn't the case. Now I did see that I do have relatives who were mixed with East Indian. So maybe that's how some of those stories got pulled in. But however, some stories do, a lot of them do turn out to be true. I was told that there was an ancestor who used to live in um, a house with other relatives and he had reached the age of 110. (laughs) And he was formerly enslaved. So actually doing the research, I did find out he was born in 1788 and lived to be 110. Oh my. <laughs> and did find them actually in the slave registers. So mm-hmm. yes, so these stories can, they can definitely be true and it's a real crucial part to yes. genealogy. Yes, it is a really good uh, starting point to go from because I know I was guided by my mother's stories that uh-huh. really helped a lot. And you're right, some do come out to be true and some are variations of the truth in it, but slightly changed. So yes, absolutely. Yes a wonderful um, starting point. So Mm -hmm. right now, would you be able to, you know, help the listeners define in terms of what primary and secondary sources are for people when they're researching, such as, you know, newspapers, books, the censuses, the should manifest and the wills, birth certificate, death certificates? Yes, definitely. So some of the primary sources that for Jamaican genealogy that you will want to familiarize yourself with are vital records, which would consist of birth, marriage, and death records. Also your church records for the Anglican church and the, some of the dissenter church, which would be like your Methodist, Moravian, Baptist, Presbyterian. So those would consist of baptisms, marriages, and burial records. In addition, there are your newspapers, which there's the Jamaica Glenyard, which they also have the print online version, which started in 1834 and goes up to the present. So that's a primary source that you definitely want to familiarize yourself. Also, in addition, manumissions, deeds, wills, patents, um, and immigration records, and also maps. Those are some of the primary sources that you definitely want to familiarize yourself with. Some secondary sources would be like books pertaining to slavery, colonialism, immigration go, immigration coming to Jamaica or migrations leaving Jamaica or also how to trace your ancestors because those would provide some of the historical context of the island and letting you know what's going on. So when you're doing your research, you'll know where to which records would be more specific to you. In addition, you also want to look at current maps. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, we'll come to the map situation because I noticed that some may not be found in Jamaica uh, mm-hmm. in terms of because of the storage or whatever the case may be. We'll, we'll come to that. Mm-hmm. And um, so the next question I wanted to ask is the importance of how these secondary sources will really assist the family researcher in fleshing out the life of their ancestor. Yes, so for some of those secondary resources, again, they provide like an understanding of the different historical trends that were occurring in the Caribbean. So it will provide you with information on knowing like 
understanding these migratory patterns, settlement patterns, rebellions, revolutions, environmental disasters that all affected our ancestors in the Caribbean. So you wanna know how is it affecting? Like for example, it is important to read books on are analyzing that are analyzing why are Jamaicans some of them leaving during the 19th and 20th century and going to Latin American countries and you never know your your ancestors or family members were probably part of that pattern that were going to Panama, Costa Rica, Cuba and some other places and you want to know why is that why why were they doing that a lot of them were doing that in search of opportunities especially after the Morin Bay rebellion where a lot of Jamaicans realize, you know, there's not so much opportunity in Jamaica for them. Let's try to, you know, advance themselves and be able to provide for their family. Let's go to different places for opportunity. So those historical um, sources are very key and important. Yes, they definitely are. I know with, especially with the Panama records, sometimes you can actually receive uh, pictures with their documentation, which is always nice to, yes, to, to get. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and then when someone is first starting out with their research, how important would you say that is for them to ensure that the document that documentation that they receive that they're actually citing the sources? Yes. So that is very critical because you never know as you were um, doing the research and you were finding these records, you might come across another record that conflicts with that information from the previous record. So it is always key to be able to refer back to where you found that record. So citing that is important, very important. Also, in addition for future genealogists who um, wanna, they need some kind of roadmap back to your work that will be key for, um, that you were able to cite these sources. So it will allow them to go back and look at what work you have done. In addition, if you wanna be a certified genealogist, that is something that you will have to know is to be able to cite your sources. So those are all, um, it's really important to make sure that you do document where you found your records. Exactly, thank you. And again, for the budding you know, family history uh, person, what would you say is a good website to start with? And because um, with the second part, you know, with the, the COVID-19 restrictions, some of these family history centers are closed and not opened. Um, and this is with the Mormon church that are not open at the moment. Can you just let us know what um, websites would be a good one to start with? Yes. So I would stress like the most important website to really start with is familysearch.org because on there, you'll be able to get access to those digitized copies of the birth, marriage, and death records, especially if you are familiar exactly where in Jamaica that your ancestors live. That is something that you will want to start with. However, if you don't really know your, the place of origin, I would start with probably Ancestor.com because they do have pretty good immigration records on there. And sometimes those immigration records can lead to where your ancestor was born in Jamaica or even birth dates. And I think they also have like for the United States, they have the social security information for the deceased ancestors and they provide a lot of content like parents' names, birth dates. Those will be very key when, when referring back to family search. And then in regards to like the family history centers, when, um, COVID starts 
the COVID restrictions start to, um, they start to decrease, you know, everybody's able to get out more. You want to go to those, you may want to go to those family history centers because they do provide a lot of resources. Now, there are many throughout the world and those in those family history centers are really affiliated with the main one that's in Salt Lake City, the library there, and it's associated with the Mormon church. And for those who have never been there, you don't have to be an LDS member to attend those centers. You can easily just walk in and visit and do some research. So that's that will be key to know. Thank you. Yeah, because they have yeah. a lot of resources and mm -hmm. a lot of different other sites that people can then access um, through their location for free as well. Exactly. Thank you. And um, the other thing that comes up in many families is sometimes that uh, the name will take, will take this as an example, John Smith. Mm -hmm. And they'll use that to say they'll name many people will be named John Smith, not necessarily John Smith Sr. or John yeah. Smith Jr. What yeah. advice would you provide to someone to try to keep track of these family members that are named mm -hmm. the same? Yes. So for me, I would, I would actually do that. I would add those suffixes to the names like juniors and senior and junior to kind of help you distinguish between family members who do have the same first and surnames. So that would help you. Another approach too would add different suffixes like Roman numerals to the, the family members that have those same first and last names or po um, postnomial um, achievements like that they have received their MD or something that may distinguish them from um, family members who had similar names. No, thank you so much for that. that that's great because that does come up because you have one person's name used, you know, 10, yes. 15 times in a family and it can get kind of confusing. So I always have to say, which one are you talking about and who exactly. are they married to? Exactly. <laughs> so I can keep it straight. So. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, and then when going back in the family history, um, mm -hmm. In terms of, would you say that, you know, somebody should become familiar with, I guess, the language that was used at that time? Because some of the words that are used currently are not the same words that were used back in the 18 or 1700s or even the 1920s. And so for people to become familiar with the certain type of people, places and things, especially in, you know, the Caribbean, you know, Cromanty and Chambra, what those mean and to become familiar with those terms when they see that coming up for the family history. Yes, I would stress, stress that this is extremely important. This is actually where the secondary sources come into play. This is where you wanna be able to learn and understand the different languages and customs of the time, because a lot of that is outdated, especially once the um, emancipation hit, like words like the Coromanti, the Chamba, the Igbo, a lot of those disappeared or mulatto, musty, sambo, like people might be like, okay, what does that mean? So that's, so this is, again, secondary sources will be critical and important to read and catch up on so you can understand the language and customs from 18th and 19th century and going even back further, 17th century. So yes, yeah. really critical. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you. And <laughs> And in it, in regards to the you know the world of the online records has a mm -hmm. lot of information. 
However, you know, the family history may at some point may require to go in person to the repositories or archives. What would you suggest that someone do to plan that visit or have or pay someone to to research for what they're looking for? Yes. So this is a really good question. I would suggest um, somebody who is doing their family history and does want to go to those that does need to go to those repositories first start out by doing research because want to go to Jamaica you also have to think about travel expenses and just a place to stay and then um, also a travel to the national the National Archives at Spanish Town or the Registrar's General's Department at Twickenham Park which is close to Spanish Town so you want to weigh those options also weigh it with finding a private researcher who could who who does have readily access to those institutions to be able to do the research for you. And then also it's key to note that you can hire a researcher or get a researcher to do the family history for your genealogy at the Registrar General's Department. They do do that using the vital records that they have and wills. There is a fee though to do that and it does sometimes take longer sadly. And actually currently right now with the COVID situation, the National Archives at Spanish Town, they are doing um, research for researchers, oh. but there is a fee for copying. Now I haven't encountered a fee for doing, um, for asking them for, because I think recently I actually uh, reached out to them to look out for a manumission records for me. Mm-hmm. And there was no fee to actually do the search. I just had to provide them the information that I did know, like the dates, the time periods that I believe the manumission might be, there might manumission might exist. Yes. So they will go out and do the research for you. Okay, perfect. And then as well with some of these repositories, they may need identification. So let's say if someone wanted to go to let's say Q in England. Um, mm-hmm in order to even access, you have to bring identification. uh, Yes. Is that correct? That is correct. So, and if you're not a citizen of the UK, make sure you have your passport with Mm -hmm. you because you will have to bring some form of identification and you will get a badge with um, the National Archives at Kew and that will allow you into the repository. Perfect. And would you say that some of these archives have certain customs in the sense that you have to wear gloves while you're there? Um, Or, you know, what else, you know, do you think, would you think that someone else might have to bring if they were to go to some of these archives? Yes. So it is important not to bring pens, (laughs) anything ink. Definitely you want to bring your pencils because yes, that I think that custom is straight across the board with the different repositories that you will want to be familiar with. And definitely gloves for some of the more fragile records. Yes. And also be aware that some there there might be an index for that record, but the book might be might have been destroyed because or it's not it's not. It's not for the pub. The public can't view it because it's in not. It's not in a good shape. So, though that might sometimes occur. So, you want to be, you want to be make sure that you're aware of that. Perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And just going back to some of the websites, I know we were talking before the podcast had started. Do you want to take time right now to show some yes. of those? Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Definitely. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so here is one website. This is the legacies of British slavery. Yes. And on this website, is, it's a database where you're able to view some of the enslavers and the properties that they own within the West Indies, mostly associated with, the, with Britain, yes. their colonies. And you will be able to get statistical data for some of these properties. And here you can start with like browsing the different estates. Like one estate that I am familiar with that I was doing research on recently was the Bog estate. And so you would enter the name of the estate name in that um, criteria field. And then you would go to the colony, which would be Jamaica. And you can click on the parish and the parish would be in there and you can just hit update records and there is the information so you could click on it and some for some of these the states they do have maps where that are already linked to the plantation so you'll be able to kind of view where it is and the and currently this parish mm -hmm. name is now Clarendon it was absorbed into um, Clarendon so you'll be able to see that and then can scroll down you can see the different plantation owners that own the estate, also the attorneys, and sometimes they show the overseers. And some of the statistical information that you'll be able to see what crops were being produced. And once you get to, I think the 19, early 19th century, around the time when you do have the slave registers, you'll be able to see the number of enslaved people mm. that were on that estate. So this will kind of help you when you're using that um, to augment your research with the slave register. So this is very critical and key. And then going back up at the top, they do also have um, little bios mm. for some of these enslavers. So you'll be able to see a little bit of their history. Wow. Yeah, that really filled yeah. in everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As a livestock, it says, you know, who it went down to, if there was a will, that's, that's a lot of information. Oh, yes, exactly. And in addition to if they survived after when emancipation happened, yes. they were most likely um, put in a claim for the slaves that they were um, they had. So the British government did fund all um, the enslavers for their colonies and you can see how much they were yes. awarded. So this okay. is all that you can find on this website. And then going to another website. So I mentioned family search is very critical. Um, so here on this website, you'll be able to do to do research to look at the vital records, yes. sometimes wills, immigration records. For this though, there, there is no fee to use this website. All you have to do though is subscribe um, just by getting your username and a password. Yeah. Um, so hold on, let me try to log in. And the thing is blocking me. It's gonna quickly sign in. All right, so actually, let me go to the very first page because that might be confusing for others. So this is actually the home page. Okay. So what you wanna do is you wanna click on search and then records. 
and this from this page you'll be able to quickly jump to the records for the different um i for the different islands that you want to look for so you can click on the map and click on jamaica and this would be jamaica's homepage. so this is where you'll be able to start doing your research like put in the information that you are aware of to check some of the records so actually i'm going to put in a rec looking for a record for an ancestor so you can see what it's like like you can you can play with the years so 1899 so let's see all right and then it pulls up information for the births of the children that a James Nicholas had, who James Nicholas was one of my ancestors. So then on the side, you'll be able to click on the camera, which yep. you'll be able to view the image. And this will give you access to the images that are wow. available. So you'll see that digitized information. Another, another thing you can do that I'm not sure if everybody's aware of. So you could go, you can scroll down and see the different records or that are associated with doing Jamaican genealogy. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's down below. That's, yeah, that's a lot. Yes, yes, it is a lot. <laughs> and one thing that I use a lot is I go to, for um, the church records, mm -hmm. I go to the church of England parish records. And if you click on the browse through the different items, you could actually go directly to each parish's indexes, which will help you when looking for records. And actually, as you can see, there's dissenter yeah. records, which are for marriages. So this is where you'll be able to see some of the dissenter records. I'll just click on this one. So you can see what it kind of looks like. So this is like what the index looks for all the surnames that start with A. And as you scroll over, it continues to go alphabetically. Mm -hmm. So say you wanted to look for the marriage record for Edward Burke and Patricia Spiff, you would see it's on folio one, which would be page one. So you can kind of play with the numbers until you get to page one. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. And so, as you can see, this is page four. So we want to scroll back over page three, page two, page one. So here's folio one. So on this page, there should be an entry for the marriage for Edward Burke. So we just keep scrolling down until we come across Edward Burke. Uh, there we go. So we have Edward Burke and his wife, Patricia Smith, and it lists all their information. Now, the rest of the information for this record would actually be on the next page. It's still part of Folio 1, but it will be right up at the top. So there it goes. It shows Edward Burke and or this would be so his mark, which so it wasn't actually his signature. Perhaps probably he couldn't write, so maybe that's why it was his mark and also same for his wife. 
and it'll show who was also present at the marriage. Okay. So this is, so family search, there's so much you can do yeah. with family search. And then another one is ancestry.com. Here is the former British colonial dependency slave registers for 1813 to 1835. You can find this under the census voter list. Uh, so actually, let me start off with that. So you can go to okay. search. I already have it in my recently viewed collections because it's something that I regularly use. Okay but you could click on census and voter list. And then you can view in all card catalogs. And I think you can type it out. So British or probably just type up slave registers. Let's see, and there you go. There you go, yeah. That will come up and then you could do a quick search. So I think you could do like Jamaica. Um, I'll do, actually do for one ancestor that I knew. Uh, let's see, John. So you, at the bottom, you would put in the slave owner's name, the year, and the surname. You could also put in the first name. So here I, I knew that I descended from my, the Thomas Edward Nango, the one that I actually mentioned earlier, who was born in 1788. So here is an entry for him. And actually the, the records for the parish of Vere have not actually been um, fixed to the actual page that you okay. want to first click on. So what you have to do is kind of scroll over to get there. And oops, and you just scroll over, it and there it is. So it says Thomas Edward Nango is formerly known as Tommy, and it lists it'll list like their color, age, whether if they're were born in Africa or born in Jamaica, which would be Creole. Mm -hmm. And then under remarks, usually those are that's where they place where the mother's name would be. So. Yeah. He was most like he was the son of Phyllis, who was later known as Eliza Bryant, and there's her information. So this is what you could use um, ancestry for. I would say it's very critical and to use like this. Oh, go ahead. No, but back to what you said before in terms of the the language, because just in that record, it had mm -hmm. either Negro or mulatto. So just mm -hmm. knowing what those mean. So exactly, yeah. exactly. Yep. Because for some people, they might be confused. Like, okay, well, what does mulatto mean? We 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 might know. We will know what Negro means, but yeah. then like, okay, well, what was the difference? So. Mulatto would be a person who was mixed race, who uh, there was a white father and a black mother. So that's why that was listed. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And then another website that you would also want to use is Jamaica, Jamaican Family Search, Genealogy Research Library. And here they have more vital extractions from vital records and church records. They also have almanacs, yeah. they have some newspapers, they have immigration, some immigration records, directories. So this would 
the I would I would also suggest this website for anybody doing Jamaican genealogy. And you could just search just on the search um, bar. So let's say you want to look for all people with the name. Uh, let's see, let's come up with a name like Macintosh. All right, and it will pull up then it will pull up all the pages where the surname is located on. Yeah. So you could just click on the first thing and here's there's a James McIntosh and it will show you you just scroll down and you'll um, locate where all the, the surnames appear. So again, this is another, this is definitely another source that you can use. And then lastly, I want to quickly jump to mm -hmm. the Endangered Archives Program, which is associated with the British Archive, or British Library, excuse me. And it has manumission records for, of slaves from 1747 to 1838. Now, not all of the manumission records have been digitized and are available on here. For some, for most, for the later early 19th century, you would have to go to the Jamaican, um, the National Archives at Spanish Town. Yeah. And you can click on here to view what's, what manumission records they have available, starting with, well, as you can see, it starts with volume five because there previous volumes have been either destroyed and they didn't have time to digitize them. So that is why it's done. And here you can click on this again to view the images and it will pull, pull up the digitized versions that they have. And it usually starts off with the indexes. Mm -hmm. You can see like this document is very yeah, fragile. Very fragile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes, yeah, so you can, and you can also zoom in to see what they have. Usually on the left-hand side, they'll start off with the, ens the enslaver or the person that, actually the person that was manumitting okay. the enslaved. And then on the right-hand side, they'll have the names of the enslaved who was being manumitted. Okay. So when, when you're doing research and you're looking for manumission records, it's key to know who was the manumitter because mm -hmm. that will help you more easily when looking for the actual manumission. And then as you continue to scroll past all the indexes, then you'll start getting to the manumissions. And this is kind of what, oops, kind of what they look like. They'll say like, who was the manumitter and why were they being manumitted? So that is pretty much all the web, the most of the websites that you mm -hmm. definitely want to familiarize yourself with. Oh, well, thank you so much for that. That's great. Yeah. That's really great. That's yeah. a lot of information. Definitely. I've used some of those as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, they are definitely a life source, especially oh, yes. um, every one of them uh, to be able to go back to. And that's where, again, where you mentioned sourcing. Yes. So if somehow for whatever reason you've, you know, you've filed your electronic records and somehow mm -hmm. you got it lost, you now know where back to go to trace back your steps. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. So, and 
the next question I have here is just, you know, um, you know, in Jamaica, their records are, you know, going back to 1800 for most births, you know, during which, you know, I think you've mentioned this as well previously is, yes, most were with the Church of England, mm -hmm. use that template, um, and would list the name of the child, the parents, and the location, the occupation um, of the father. However, you know, especially after emancipation, people didn't really record. And I think this is where a lot of blanks or walls would come up for some people. Um, mm -hmm. How would you suggest that they, you know, if this does come up for somebody where they get stuck around the 1850s, 1840s, 1830s, how mm -hmm. would they be able to move forward? Yes, yes, good question. Uh, so actually when it says, so civil registration for Jamaica began in 1878 yeah. and to the present. And for those records, there's a good chance that you will find the birth records because most of them have been registered. But like you said, prior to 1878, birth records, there wasn't that many that were registered because really they weren't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't something that people had to officially go and register. Now there are a few that exist and then there are the baptism records which do include the birth dates. Mm -hmm. So, but for those who are looking for their ancestor and they cannot find baptism dates, I use a couple of techniques to kind of help push back further in my genealogy. One thing that I do use is def, look at death records for the oldest ancestors that you, you were able to find out for. So when you look at those death records, you wanna look to see, to kind of confirm. So what I actually do is for the ancestor surname, mm -hmm. I'll pinpoint it to the exact parish and district and I'll look at everybody who has that same surname that is within that district and the parish overall, and kind of look at everybody's, um, those death records to see if I can see family members that are present at those death records or ancestors. And sometimes on those death records, they'll list the relationship of that person who's present to the deceased. And that's how you'll be able to find out your ancestors even further back to continue to go further back. Another approach mm -hmm. is marriage records. So looking for marriage records for your ancestor that's closest to, I think 1880 is when marriage records, the official registration began for that. And on those marriage records, they'll list the father's name. So that's another approach to be able to push back even further and possibly even look for a death certificate for that father's name to kind of help push back. Another, and I would say this is a, um, a more somewhat recent approach that I've been using is DNA, turning to DNA. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> now I'm quite sure everybody's aware that there's so many different DNA companies. <laughs> I would say the one that has the biggest database is Ancestry, but yeah. you can also use 23andMe, MyHeritage, or any one of those. And those, those are, I would say, is, um, using DNA is very critical for being able to uncover some of these or go past, overcome these brick walls. Because on there, you'll be able to find out who's matching 
um, you. And one thing to do is to see if you can test more um, relatives, especially grandparents. Mm -hmm. So by testing them, you'll be able to see how, how is this person related on which side. So, and using some of those DNA features like auto clustering. So these are, these are some techniques that you can use to kind of get past those brick walls. Yes, thank you. Those are really great uh, techniques, actually. So, and, you know, as we wrap up, what would you say as some final thoughts, if you could provide some final thoughts for some of the family researchers out there that are listening to keep, you know, to keep them motivating um, with, their, with their research? Yes, yeah. yes. I would say the most important thing is it takes, you're going to have to be patient with this process. It, yes. it does because I recall sometimes being so stressed of like, oh, this is brick wall, I definitely want to get past. But being patient is helpful because if you are testing with DNA, you wait later to matches come up and that helps. Also, you may come across somebody who's doing the same research for a line that's that you're researching. And by when this person um, eventually, you know, you find this person, you're able to collaborate with them and be able to push back even further. Another thing I would let people know is to make sure you get involved in like ge genealogy discussion boards that are on Facebook or the different social medias because there's a lot of people on there doing the same thing and are interested in the same thing that you are and looking for their family history. And you might come across a relative on there that's doing the same thing. So definitely being patient, make sure you're out there networking on the different genealogy boards. And also remember to take breaks. This is a very, yeah. <laughs> very indicting thing. So make sure to take breaks. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely um, something that definitely captivates you. And yes. uh, it's like a murder mystery. You need to find yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so, but no, thank you so much for taking the time, Philip, and coming on to the podcast and to be able to give us. So maybe next time you can come back on in the future and we might just do a part two as to some other further details when uh, more specific questions on the research. Yeah, thank you so much, Wendy. And thanks you, thank for, um, for giving me this opportunity to share the different techniques and stories for people so they can get interested in doing their Jamaican genealogy. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you.